0: Well... You know, we've been this last week in the afterglow of Easter. That's the best word I could come up with, right? The afterglow. Um, I don't know how many of you have done the the little plastic Easter egg hunt in the yard with you've had kids or maybe you did it growing up or um, something like that. But in our house, we've had a tradition each year where, you know, Kristen and I will go out. We can't do it in our front yard or our backyard because it gets a little too muddy. So in our front yard, we go out and we hide Easter eggs and the kids have to stay inside with the curtains closed and they get to come out and find Easter eggs. It's really fun. When we first moved in the house, was like five years ago they were so much smaller now they're bigger and we're in this constant conversation of going okay when are they too old to go find easter eggs in our little tiny square of a front yard Um, but there's this thing I've noticed that happens each year and it's kind of fun and it's an informal game that starts to happen of who's going to find the last easter egg now you in your mind may think that that means like on Saturday or Sunday of Easter weekend the last person to put an egg in their basket that's not what this is The last Easter egg is there's always at least one or two that we hid them so well, the kids can't find them right in that moment, and they find them later on. Sometimes it's rained, and the candy inside has turned to goo, and the ants have found it. And sometimes it may be a day or two. We've had some show up, like, weeks later. So there's kind of like, you know, the Easter eggs, they're they're sort of with us for a while. And it was funny, this last week, we... um, one of the boys mowed the lawn on. I want to say it was like Monday evening. Maybe it was Tuesday. I can't remember. But so I'm like, okay, they're they're mowing the grass. Like there's there can't be any Easter eggs left out there. Kevin came in on the next morning after whatever it was. He had gone out to the, go to the bus and he comes back and he's holding this plastic Easter egg covered in grass clippings. He's like, I found the last egg. I was like, Don't eat what's in there. <laughs> Throw it out. Um, but it just I've been reflecting on this in my mind and my heart how. You know, we celebrate Easter as an event, right? We celebrate it. It's, it's not just like culturally an event that gets celebrated on a day. But even in the church calendar, there is a day that we celebrate Easter, and we have the lead up to it, the Lenten season, we have Palm Sunday, we have Holy Week. If you're uh, Orthodox, you're actually celebrating Easter today instead of last Sunday. But what strikes me, though, is that actually to be people that are experiencing that true love power of the, the true love story of Christ Jesus is we're living in the resurrection of Christ every single day, all throughout the year. And so um, when we stop and we think about it, we realize that Easter is not really just one day. I mean, we celebrate it one day. But we live in the power of Christ Jesus' resurrection every single day. We are people of the cross. We are people of resurrection. And So we live in the overflow of that. And so today we wrap up our sermon series, A True Love Story, looking at the the love of Christ Jesus through the power of the Easter story. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at the time from jesus resurrection to then the time of his ascension his returning to heaven and what happens and i love this is that there are multiple encounters that people have with jesus through this time there's conversations that happen on the road to emmaus where there's you know disciples that are walking along and it scripture actually says that god kind of hides jesus face where they don't recognize at first that they're even talking to jesus until much later and they're like wait a minute. That was really, something was happening in us. Or there's the moment of um, Mary experiencing Jesus in the garden, and she thinks he's the gardener first. What have you done, you know, with our Lord? And then there's Jesus, you know, feeding his disciples fish, or there's moments where they're gathered and he just shows up in their midst. And what's so amazing is in each of these moments, as Jesus encounters his followers, what starts to happen is that he's showing a true and personal care for each one. Each conversation reveals something about the heart of God, For those who follow Jesus, and so what we're going to look at today is um, three encounters, kind of three conversations. And like I said, I'm going to try to move quickly through these for the sake of time. But um, in each of these stories, what we see is there is this this desire, and it's in us too. It's in Jesus followers, but there's this desire that's in us that's that longing to to be known the longing to be seen, the longing to have someone that understands the depths of who we are, that understands the longing that's in our soul to be understood. And so what we see in each of these conversations is that the power of God's love in Christ Jesus is showing up and saying, I see you. I call you by name. I'm restoring you. I'm giving you purpose. I'm setting you on mission. It's not just about like the big eternal redemptive story that Jesus that God was doing through Jesus Christ, but these each of these encounters are so intimate and personal because these are the people who have walked with Jesus and when all hope was lost, he's resurrected again. And he could have gone and thrown a party. <laughs> He could have, you know, gotten millions of Instagram followers and become an influencer. He could have set up the kingdom ruling power on earth now, but instead, what does he do? He pulls back into almost very quiet places and has these one-on-one conversations, meeting in small groups with his followers. He doesn't go and and make it loud and proclaim it. His followers go and do later on, but in the encounter with Jesus, it's close, it's personal. And so this morning... I encourage you, you know, take notes. Um, we're just going to look at these three conversations. But number one, what we see is um, that when we encounter the true love of the resurrected Jesus, it changes our identity. You can write that down. Number one, it changes our identity. And what I want you to understand in, in the sermon this morning is this isn't, um, you know, how-tos. This isn't self-help. What this is, is this is a place of us being invited to encounter Jesus. And so as you hear these stories, I encourage you, as the Gospels always do, to find your own place in the story as Jesus interacts with, with these followers of his. So, first of all, when we encounter the true love of the resurrected Jesus, it changes our identity. This is something really amazing, and I, you know, Chris and I have, like, for the last week sort of been just mulling this over, this, this, this first encounter, um, but in all four of the Gospels, we see the first people to encounter Jesus as the resurrected Jesus are who? Yes, say it again. You got it. The women. The women. That's right. And the first voice that said it was a woman's voice because women recognize, hey, wait a minute, something's happening here right so we're going to look at John chapter 20 verse 14 we've read these verses you know through um, uh, Easter Sunday as well but I want to look at this encounter that Mary has with Jesus but but what happens here and I love it, it this is All four of the Gospels. And if you know anything about, you know, kind of your Bible history and and some of the timeline of when the Gospels were written, Mark was most likely written earliest, closest to the life of Jesus. John was probably written much later, possibly even after a lot of Paul's letters were written. And so even over all those years, there was plenty of time to change the story, finesse it, add something different. But they chose all four Gospel writers to recognize that Jesus' first revealing of himself as the resurrected Jesus was to the women. The Gospels have different takes on it. Some of them, it's a group of women. Some of them just focus in just on Mary Magdalene. But there's this um, encounter that Jesus has. And so I'm going to read through these verses quickly and then help us understand how it applies to us in this encounter that changes our identity. So for Mary, this is John chapter 20, verse 14 through 18. Mary Magdalene she she had visited the tomb and then she turns to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. "Dear woman, why are you crying?" Jesus asked her. "Who are you looking for?" She thought he was the gardener. "Sir," she said, "if you have taken him, him away, please tell me where you have put him, and I will go and get him." "Mary," Jesus said. She turned to him and cried out, "Rabboni," which is Hebrew for teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go and find my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord, that she gave them his message. So again, in our 2022 culture, we can read that and go, that's really cool. Like Mary had this like special encounter with Jesus. But what we have to pull back and see is that culturally... Once again, Jesus is having an encounter that was somewhat scandalous. He's talking to Mary. Men weren't supposed to culturally even be in alone with a woman who was not in their family or not their spouse, right? And he's having this encounter with her in the garden. And then what I love is that she doesn't totally recognize who he is until he voices her name, Mary. And there's something of the familiarity of Jesus' voice saying her name that, like, awakens her heart for her to realize, oh, my God, it's true. Literally, oh, my God. You like that? Oh, my God, it's true. Because Jesus had spoken her name before. It wasn't the first time Jesus had ever said Mary's name. Jesus had said her name before, and he calls her out. He recognizes who she is, and he says, Mary, Mary. I am here. But then he warns her, don't hold on to me yet. There's still more to do, but I have a purpose for you. I have an assignment for you. I have something for you to do. And what we see, and this is is in each of the gospels, but what we see is that Mary in this moment, she's no longer, and I put this in quotes in my notes, she's no longer just a woman. Just a woman in the crowd, just a woman who was trying to follow Jesus, just a woman who was really acting co- counterculturally to learn from a rabbi. Like she is no longer just a woman, she has become, in this moment, a commissioned follower of Jesus. Jesus said, Mary, look, I have work for you to do. Take this message and carry it to the boys, right? They weren't there. She says, he says, take this and carry it. So like Jesus has seen her, he's called her by name and he's assigned her a message to carry for him. And in this, it's, it's like this sense of herself and her purpose has been empowered by the presence in this encounter with Christ Jesus. Like the love of God has brought her into a place of saying everything you think you know about yourself, I'm doing something more. I'm giving you something more to understand. And there's this challenge then for her to live this out. Right. Because she encounters Jesus. But now she has to go and take a word, witness testimony to what has happened and go represent it to a group of people that were still steeped in their culture, where even women's testimony was not to be believed, was not to be accepted. Like in, in a legal hearing, a woman had to have a man speak for her because it would, her word wouldn't have been accepted. Look at this. Even in Luke's gospel, I love it that Luke records this. It's a little bit offensive at first, but when you see it in its cultural context, it makes more sense. Luke 24, the same story about Mary, it says, Luke 24, verses 11 and 12, when she she goes to take the story, the gospel writer says this, but the story sounded like nonsense to the men. So they didn't believe it. (laughs) Like, the women go and they take the story and they tell the men, and the men are like... Sounds like nonsense. Jesus had been saying he was going to be resurrected. They go and they say, you won't believe what's happened. And the women and the guys are like, sounds like nonsense. Except who? Crazy Peter. Peter says, however, it says, however, Peter jumped up, ran to the tomb to look, because he had to see it for himself, stooping and peering in. He saw the empty linen wrappings. Then he went home again, wondering what had happened. Mary already had told him what had happened, right? Do you love it? I know, you're just throwing your hands up like, oh my God. But this is the challenge of living this out, where she is no longer just the identity that she had understood herself to be. If you read back through the Gospels, you see other points of restoration that God had done in Mary's life, and then, or Jesus had done in Mary's life, and then once again in this encounter, he's saying, you have an identity here that has worth and value far beyond just what other people see of you, what other people think of you, what other people may assign to you. You have a worth and a value that's so much deeper. And so in this moment, and I love it, there's a resilience in Mary and the other woman that went to the tomb to go and say, no, we're going to follow through on this. We're going to represent it. We're becoming the first witnesses, the first ones to testify to the resurrection power of Christ Jesus. And this this happens for us in our own lives. Paul writes about it. Romans 12, Ephesians 4, where it's this place of, you know, that as we encounter Jesus, we're being renewed by the transforming of our mind that, you know, in Ephesians 4, we're taking off the old self and putting on the new self. That's this place where as we encounter Christ Jesus, our identity is something so much more and deeper that's valued in who Christ Jesus is and the love of God is, that it's not just about the expression culturally that we carry the labels that have been given to us, the labels that we understand and the lenses that we understand ourselves through, but understanding that as we experience this encounter with Christ Jesus, it does, it awakens something inside of us. And we can get stuck in this process of transformation where we've encountered Christ Jesus. He's spoken a word. He's given us something to do and yet then we got to carry it and live it out, right? We have to be in this world, but you know, not be of the world. We have to fight against you know cultural stereotypes of what it means to be a follower of Jesus and what people think if you start to reference the bible or say i prayed about this and all the other you know biases and things that may come in as we go to carry the message but if anything we come back to the understanding that Christ Jesus and the love of god is one that sees us knows us and calls us by name so when we encounter the love of Christ Jesus that that empowering true love of the resurrected Jesus it changes our identity but number two, got to stick with me. We're moving fast. Number two. So it changes our identity. But then second, it redefines our purpose. We've already seen this a little bit in Mary. But there's, there's this other story that I really love. And we had a cool moment this last week where um, Haven, our, our eight-year-old, said, hey, do you know the story about whenever Jesus tells Peter to, to feed his sheep? And I was like, Yeah do you know the story? And so then she like goes and she like lays it out. It was like, he said this, and then he said that, and then he said this. And we're like, that's so cool. And we had this moment where it was like, she like quoted the whole Bible story to us. And we're like, all right, really cool. And then I looked at Kristen and I thought to myself, I'm like, we didn't teach her that. So hopefully it happened over there. She's reading her Bible on her own. But like, before you think we're like really like awesome, great, like, you know, Bible parents, like sitting down and no, she, she picked it up on her own. And she loved the story in this image of Jesus telling Peter, feed my sheep. But look at this. So there's this, again, this story um, in the Gospels, this is John 21, where the disciples, they they, they hadn't seen the resurrected Jesus yet. They, they've been out fishing. They're exhausted. They're coming back in after a night of fishing with no fish. And Jesus is on the shore, but they don't, again, they don't know that it's him. This voice calls out and says, hey, how was the fishing? And they're like, we didn't catch anything. And he says, hey, throw your net on the right side of the boat and i'm sure there was a grumble like oh this wise guy like he knows what's going on and so they go ahead and they do it and they throw their net on the right side of the boat even though they're not out in fishing waters they're close enough to the shore that they can be called out to and as they do the scriptures say that they couldn't it, the so many fish were in the net that they couldn't actually pull the net up out of the water without help it was so full and then at that moment as the miracle happens Peter, again, being crazy Peter, decides to jump off the boat, fully clothed, into the water, run to shore to embrace Jesus, because he recognizes that it's Jesus who's speaking. And then, so cool, I love this, this is completely sidelined, Jesus decides to cook them breakfast. How many of you want Jesus to cook breakfast for you? Can you imagine what that breakfast, I mean, it was fish, so fish for breakfast, I don't know, but he cooks them breakfast, and he feeds them, and then look at the conversation, So they were frustrated, they're disappointed, a miracle happens. Jesus then says, let me feed you, and as you're eating and your belly is growing full and you're resting, he says, I'm going to tell you a story. John 21, 12 through 19, now come and let's have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. This was the third time that Jesus had appeared to the disciples since he had been raised from the dead. Verse 15, after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said a third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And at this point, you know, Peter and his big ego, Peter was hurt that Jesus asked him the question a third time. And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. And Jesus continues, I tell you the truth. When you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But When you are old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you do not want to go. And then the gospel writer comments on this and says, Jesus said this to him to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. Then Jesus told Peter, follow me, follow me. Jesus says to Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Take care of my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. And it's like in this moment, this back and forth, we can look at it and go, man, Jesus, come on. Like he said it. Like let him out. But in this moment, many people consider this a a place of Peter's reinstatement as a disciple. Because Peter was the one that denied Jesus. How many times did he deny him? Three times right? And so then some theologians pull this parallel of like, okay, so three times he asked him the question, and it's like, okay, canceling all that out, and he's reinstating Peter, and he's bringing him back in, and he's bringing this place of confirmation, not just for Jesus' sake, but for Peter's sake, of kind of forcing Peter to hear his own voice say, yes, I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. And then he comes to the point of saying, you know everything. You know that I love you. But what I think is so amazing here is when you look at it in the Greek, The words that Jesus is using here, the feed my sheep, care for my sheep, they're literally words that would have been used to describe the process of feeding sheep. Like if a shepherd was going out to feed the sheep, this is the literal word that would have been used, feed the sheep or care for the sheep. It was the actual act of caring for sheep as a shepherd. And so in this moment, you can look at it and you can be like, okay, Jesus didn't have any sheep, right? It's not like he had like actual little lambs jumping around and he's like, hey, Peter, will you take these literal sheep right here and care for them as they were your own? What's happening here in a symbolic way is Jesus is doing once again what he does, where he's assigning purpose to Peter. Because Peter had been what? He had been out on a boat fishing as a fisherman. And yes, we know earlier, you know, you'll make you fishers of men and use all that symbolism. But Jesus is bringing him into this imagery that's different and it looks different. Fishermen, they go out and they, they go on the boat and they go, they fish, they come back and they go home. But do you know how shepherds take care of sheep in the ancient world? They lived with the sheep. To care for the flock meant that you were with the flock. To know the condition of the flock meant that you're right there with them. They would sleep under the stars with the sheep. As much as it would stink, as much as you're exposed to the elements, as much as it was probably exhausting and gross and dirty work, to be a shepherd meant that you were right there in and among the sheep that were being cared for. And so Jesus, as he's again feeding the disciples, caring for the disciples in this moment of making them breakfast he looks at peter and he says i have new work for you to do you're not going to take care of actual sheep you are going to feed my sheep because he's already said he's the good shepherd he's already said that i have you know sheep folds with sheep in them that i keep the predators out and i keep the ones away and i protect and yes i'm i'm returning to the father in heaven but now i have work for you to do you're going to feed my sheep peter you're going to care for my sheep. And in the process of doing that, what you're doing is you're, you're living out not a nine to five job where you go in and you punch the clock and then you check out at the end of the day. What you're doing is you're having an identity transformation for you and a new purpose assigned to your life that's going to bring you into a place that as you encounter me and then as you follow me, it's going to look totally different. Many believe Peter at the end of his life, he was martyred for his faith. That's that's the accepted teaching that he died for his faith. And I have to believe that, you know, as as Peter lived out the rest of his life, this moment of being encountering the resurrected Jesus and this little breakfast on the shore of fish and bread and all of it probably was a story that he thought back to time and time again. A moment where in the hardest moments where he's like, you know what? These sheep are annoying. These sheep get on my nerves. This 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 calling, it's too hard. This work, God, that you're trying to do in the world, like, I don't want to do something else. Then he hears the voice of Jesus echo back and say, hey, feed my sheep. Do you love me? Take care of my sheep. And Peter goes back to, you know, Lord, that I love you because you, God, you, God, Jehovah, you, God, Jesus, you you know everything, you see everything, and you know my heart. And so, yes, I will feed your sheep. And so when we translate this for us, we realize that, you know, Shepherding sheep is not just the work of pastors, vocational, like carrying the title of pastor. The act of of shepherding, of caring for sheep, is an assignment for anybody who's a follower of Jesus. To recognize that every single one of us have a response to Jesus that's that place of surrender of saying, Jesus, I will walk in this world and, and, and allow you to change my perfect, perspective in the way that I see it and realize that this world is full of sheep without a shepherd that need to be cared for, that need to be loved, that need to be fed. And sometimes that may be literal caring for and feeding. And sometimes it may be in a figurative sense of showing up and being present with the sheep and saying, I'm going to be here I'm going to care for you. I'm not going to check in and I'm not going to check out. I'm not going to live out my faith as though it's just a a kind of a Sunday activity that I do or an Easter that I celebrate once a year. But I'm going to live in the power of the love of the resurrected Christ Jesus that says, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Care for my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Because I think Jesus calls out to us in that same way and he's saying if you love me okay I have an assignment I have a purpose for you live like me Jesus care like me Jesus that that I have done and that I've shown you and I've taught you live this out in your own life it becomes so powerful when we put it in the flow of understanding that we know and and seek it to know a God who is love and that as we encounter God's love, it transforms us. It gives us new identity. It gives us new purpose. But then third, when we encounter the true love of the resurrected Jesus, it changes our perspective. It gives us eternal perspective. One last story here. This is in John chapter 20, verses 24 through 29. One of the, disciples, one of the 12 disciples, Thomas nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, we have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands. Unless I put my fingers into them. And I place my hand into the wound in his side. Eight days later, the disciples were together again. This time, Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus is standing among them. And then Jesus' voice speaks and says, peace be with you. Then he looks at Thomas and he says, put your finger here in my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. Then Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. I once again have always struggled with the story about Thomas. You know the moniker, Doubting Thomas, right? You've heard it. Don't be a Doubting Thomas. And this is where it comes from, you know. And we've called him Doubting Thomas. And it's like, (laughs) we heap so much shame on Thomas, right? Like here, everybody else has already had this like, awesome experience. They've seen the resurrected Jesus. He hasn't seen it yet. And, and so he just kind of in this moment says, you know what? I'm not going to believe it until I stick my fingers into the nail holes in his hands or, or stick my hand in his side. I mean, it's like so like grotesque and it's it's over the top and it seems so exaggerated. And I have to believe that it probably was out of probably the fear and the shock, the grief, the disappointment that was in his own heart. And he's, he's wanting to believe that, you know, Jesus is resurrected, but yet everybody else has had this really awesome experience and he feels like he's seeing it from the sidelines. And I think of it for myself and I come to these places where I know times in my own life where even as a pastor, where I feel like, you know what? This thing we preach, the thing that we pray for, what we read in the Bible, it seems like it works for everyone else. But then there's me. And why doesn't it seem like it works for me? Why doesn't it seem like, like when I pray so hard for something that I just just find what I'm praying for? Or when I've tried so hard to be faithful and to, to live it out and, and to show God's faithfulness in my own life and not do it for you know, wrong motives or wrong motivation, and yet it still seems like things go wrong and it doesn't, it's not as effective or it just doesn't seem like it works the way that I want it to work. And then I, I come back to a place and I go, man... God, I don't, I mean, I believe it, and I, and I and I want to believe it, and I preach it, and I, I see other people experience it, and yet I look at my own story, my own life, and I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know that it works. I don't know that it makes sense, and I think kind of similar to Thomas, and I don't like calling him Doubting Thomas because I feel like it just labels him too harshly. He's just like us, Right? He's in that place where he's like, everybody else has experienced the resurrection power of God, and yet I haven't, and I'm frustrated. So I'll believe it when I get to just like, yeah, stick my hands right. I mean, it's so like, you know, like embodied and and just angry and probably fear and and who knows what all the emotions were inside of him. And then I love the story because he has this moment where he's like looking at the other disciples before he sees Jesus. And he's like, you know, we believed. We believe we believe what Jesus taught and then he died and and you guys have said he's resurrected But for me, nobody's gonna make a fool out of me again Nobody's gonna, you know, pull one over on me again So if there really is a miracle here this time like i'm gonna be right there in the midst of it And then jesus appears and jesus being jesus just like calling mary's name or knowing that, you know Crazy peter he's gonna like jump out of the boat and and he's got to restore peter because he's gonna hold on to this guilt for so long He's got to restore him. He comes to thomas And he looks at Thomas and he's like, peace be with you. And hey, by the way, Thomas, I see you. I know what's in your heart. Do you want to go ahead? Because I'm going to let you. You can stick your fingers in there or stick it in the side if you really need to believe. Like, I know, I make it a little lighthearted, a little humorous. But I feel like in that moment, it's like Jesus once again going, I see you. I know what's in your heart. And so he's not just restoring relationship. But once again, he's restoring identity. I think he's probably bringing healing to Thomas's heart and Thomas's soul, his spirit. It's in this moment, this powerful encounter that it does change Thomas's life. If you know about the Apostle Thomas, what has been taught in church history is that following this, Thomas moved sort of east and, and, and southeast into India, possibly even what like modern day India, but possibly even China and Indonesia. And he became basically the first missionary carrying the stories of Jesus into those parts of the world. And even to this day, They recognize the Apostle Thomas, this one who followed Jesus, the the doubting Thomas. They recognize him as the one who brought Christianity to that part of the world. I don't think he came in like a crusader. I don't think he came in saying, believe or die. (laughs) He came in probably saying, you know what? I've seen some stuff and I've made some pretty bold claims out of my own doubt. But there is a God who is powerful. There is a God who is the source of life. There is a God who has conquered death and I'm here. The story, this is is what's so amazing, The story that is supposedly the story of the end of Thomas' life, and again, this is outside of scripture, this is just kind of church tradition, is that he died by being pierced with a sword. Somewhat poetic, but he's venerated as a saint in the Catholic Church because of his death and the work that he did. And so it's like, there's this place where it's like, I look at this and I go, man, Jesus looked at him and said, you believe because you've seen. But then he reminds him, believing now actually means that you truly see. Those who who believe without seeing, like that's even more powerful. So yeah, Thomas, you got to see it. You had an opportunity to, you know, stick your hand in there. But as he restores him, he tells him, believing now means truly seeing. And so I think in this moment, as we think about how God works in our own hearts and lives and and, and realizing that encountering the resurrected Jesus and the power of the love of, of Christ Jesus resurrected means that it changes our perspective. From that point forward, I don't think doubting Thomas probably struggled with the idea that death is the end of life, that there is an eternity and there's a power that's far beyond what we as humans can comprehend. He went all in. And we have that same question for us. You know, as we encounter Jesus today, you know, God is taking all of our doubts, our questions, the uncertainty of our life, the uncertainty of this world, the pain of our tragic moments, both the ones that others have seen and maybe tragic moments others haven't seen. And God is bringing all of it to a place of giving it an eternal perspective. So maybe you're one who feels like doubting Brad, doubting Raphael. And, and you're like, no, God's stripping that away and say, like, set that label aside. You're not a doubter. You're one who is working to believe. And even though you may not be able to see it, you can believe. The miracle of all of this is that God uses all of it to transform our souls, transform the human soul, the human spirit, our life. God transforms us and God uses the very thing that would normally destroy us the tragic, the sorrowful, the painful, the unjust, and he uses it to transform us. So we have to ask ourselves as we come to a place of encountering Christ Jesus this morning, the power of the resurrected Christ Jesus, are we prepared to trust even though we may not see? Will you bow your heads with me? What I love about all of these stories is there's a temptation for each and every person who encountered Jesus to miss it. They didn't all immediately recognize Jesus for Jesus. They all had their opportunity to go their own way, to check out and say, hey, I'm done. You guys do what you want to do, but I'm out. But instead of turning in on themselves, they pressed in the relationship with one another, even though challenging that hope, that expectancy that was beyond what they could even see or believe. And I think for us, it's the same way where we can learn from the fact that, you know, the pain of this life, the sadness, our own suffering and sorrow, it has this this woe is me element that can actually turn us in on ourselves. Or we can say, God, even in this, I will trust you. God, even in this, I will believe even in this, I, I will receive the restoration that you're doing in me. This is what God does every spring, as new spring and life starts to bud out. God does it even in our own lives, bringing new life, a new season, a new resurrection. This is why we live in the resurrection of Christ Jesus day after day after day. Psalm 25 verse 3 reminds us that God is the one who always turns death into life and that no one who trusts in God will ever be put to shame. And the church said, amen. No one who trusts in God will ever be put to shame. So I invite you with your head bowed to take just a few moments before we wrap up our service. And I want to pray for you. And, and maybe for you, you're, you're in one of those encounters where you're just needing God to restore identity. God, help me to, to, to have a fresh, renewed identity and understanding of who I am and who I am in you. Help me to see myself in the way that you see me. God, restore my vision, restore my understanding of who you have made me to be. And, and, and that it comes back to a place of being centered and grounded in Christ Jesus. Maybe you're one who purpose is kind of wandering. You're trying to figure out where is my place? Like, what is my assignment? And, and Jesus is looking at you and saying, if you love me, feed my sheep, care for my sheep. Be, be my example anywhere you go. Recognize that every single person is a sheep of mine that needs a shepherd. Or maybe you're in a place where you just need that eternal perspective. God starts to peel back the layers of doubt, of worry, of concern, of self-protection, and begins to soften your heart once again and say, have a perspective, an eternal perspective to see that I am doing a new thing here and that I can be doing it today in you. Let me pray for us today. Verses, as I pray, I'm going to read Psalm 25, and then I'll pray for us to close our service. Psalm 25, the psalmist writes, In you, Lord my God, I put my trust. I trust in you. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. No one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame. But shame will come on those who are treacherous without a cause. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are my God, my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. God, today we come to a place of admitting our need of you. Once again. God, it's not news to you. I have to feel that in the moments when we feel kind of beaten up and, and weary, like the disciples in the days after your death and resurrection, you just long to come close. You long to, to, to reveal your face and show that you, Christ Jesus, are with us. So I pray, God, that you would help us today to, to soften the, the ears of our, our heart, our spirit, to hear you calling our name, calling us by name, and giving us assignment and identity and purpose God, I pray that you would help us to come to places of trusting you, even in our doubt. Not to have to pretend like it doesn't exist or or the worry or the concern of like, could it be true? And it seems so good for everyone else, but why isn't it true in my own life? God, I pray that you help us to bring our full selves to you and be able to, to receive that restoration, that invitation to come close, to make contact with you. Lord, I pray even in the moments when we can't see it, we realize believing can still happen without seeing. God, would you grow our faith? We long to trust in you. God, we thank you for all that you have done in this Easter season. And I pray, Lord, that you help us to live out of the resurrected love of Christ Jesus day after day after day. We pray all of this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.